So we just sang, there's no place I would rather be than here in your love. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. Who wants more of God? Yeah, there's some people excited, amen. Who wants God in their own terms, though? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> It says we want God and we want more of God. There's something that we can't contain and can't control, is it? When we confess who Jesus is and say he is Lord, then we're saying he's Lord, isn't he? He's master. He, he rules. He reigns. Our lives are submitted to him. And therefore, we're on a path and on a journey which we can't control, we can't contain, we can't define, we can't make it for ourselves, but can only say, Jesus, I'm submitted to you in the ups and downs the peaks and the valleys, the difficulties and the challenges, I'm following you. Even sometimes I don't like that direction (laughs) or where you're going or what's happening. I'm following you and I belong to you and there's no other way that I can go but to, to follow you in your direction. And that's the aspect about discipleship we'll be looking at this morning, the aspect of invitation in challenge. You see, Jesus invites us to follow him, doesn't he? You know, you just imagine if you're here this morning that you're, you're interested in Jesus. Um, you're either, you're either been invited by Jesus to follow him, you've trusted him, you've believed in him, you've said some sort of prayer and you've started to try and live a life that's dedicated and committed to God. Amen? Or you're interested and you're inquiring and you're, you're thinking about how do I start this journey how do I start to understand more about who Jesus is and how I can follow him and believe in him? And Jesus invites us into that relationship of discipleship, of a learner of him, a learner of his ways, of understanding him and following and walking in his ways. And we explore that through two ways in which we have been revealed through the Holy Scriptures here, the Word of God, of what it means to follow Jesus and we we see who Jesus is and we learn from those who were closest to Jesus to follow him and believe in him. But also through the revelation of the Holy Spirit which reveals to us and helps us to understand what it means to believe in Jesus. Because without the Holy Spirit coming to each one of us and bringing us an invitation to follow Jesus, we wouldn't be here, would we? We didn't make the choice. The Holy Spirit came and invited us and we responded to the call of the Holy Spirit to follow. You made that decision to make a commitment to him. Now that comes with a challenge. Jesus challenges, doesn't he? Throughout his scripture, he challenges to follow him, to take up our cross, to to make a commitment to him, to leave things behind and cast things down and pick new things up from God and say, I'm a disciple of Jesus and I'm going to live for him. And that's the challenge, isn't it? You have the invitation and you have the challenge. And anybody who told you that when you invited Jesus into your life it wasn't going to be a challenge has lied to you. <laughs> it is going to be a challenge. It is a challenge to follow Jesus and make that commitment to him because much of what we believe in, our Bible, our faith, is alien to the society around us now. There's several generations who, do not, who, who haven't got a clue when we talk about They've been indoctrinated by a, a, a different understanding of the world and life around us from what is particularly Christian, Christian faith in a Christian basis. So we have a challenge in which we have to try and, in some way, 
take this faith that we believe in, this word that we believe in, and translate it to a new culture, and a culture which is alien to what we believe. That's not any different from what the early Christians did, was it? They had to take and understand who Jesus was, and take it into a, a Roman and pagan and Greek cultures, and help people understand God in, in incredible ways. And, and they were extremely successful. So um, the way that we have to take our faith into a new environment, new culture, new way to speak to people is, is very exciting. And a new and exciting challenge that's been there from, with the church from the very beginning. And so we want to look at what it, what it, what it, what it means to be that disciple who's invited but also challenged by Jesus. And um, we're, we're going to look at Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 um, to um, 20, 27, 28. And it says, oh, it's not up quite yet. I'll read it to you, you can join in. It's good to have a Bible anyway, so if you've got a Bible there, you can look up Matthew, the beginning of the the New Testament. It says, Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whenever you bind on earth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told the disciples, If anyone wants to become my followers, Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit for them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. So we've got this um, 
encounter with Jesus and his disciples, particularly with um, with Peter. And they're in this region called Caesarea Philippi, which is in the, the very northern regions of Israel, very far, far away from Galilee, far away from Jerusalem. And in this particular part of Caesarea Philippi, it's not a particularly Jewish area. It would have been very alien for Jesus and his disciples to be there. There would be many temples to foreign deities and Roman deities and to the emperor. And there would be very little Jewish activity, very different from Galilee and Jerusalem, where it was dominated by Jewish, Judaism and Jewish people. This is particularly a Roman city, uh, which, which were devoted to foreign and different gods. And they worship different gods. So you can imagine Jesus and his disciples who are, are walking through the city. And as they go there, they encounter, they will encounter many different gods, many different religions, people, say people who have no idea about Judaism or who Jesus is or, or any of that, that, or any of those things. And it's been very alien. And it's interesting that Jesus asks Peter and his disciples at that time in that place, which is where they're surrounded by paganism and other religions. He says, who do you say I am? And who do people say that I am? That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that exciting if people come in society and out there around us start to ask us, who do you, who is Jesus? Or actually people outside are talking about Jesus and we can come report back and say, oh, people are saying this about Jesus and people are saying this. But if somebody had to come and ask us, who do you say Jesus is? What would be your response? You go, bah, 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 help! <laughs> or would you know what to say? I think part of our discipleship is, is understanding who Jesus is, isn't it? That we can make a response that when somebody says, who do you say that Jesus is? That you can make a reply to that. It's interesting because, I mean, I always, I always think about Caesarea Philippi. And one of, one of my favorite places is to, to go into Normanton and go, go around all the shops and, and see if I can get some nice fruits and uh, there's nice, um, try and get some samosas and things. I've got the best ones down there. I can't remember the shop, but they'll, they'll just ask and can tell you. But there's lovely, lovely samosas, love, lovely, lovely things, delicious things. You know, as you can I'm driven by food many times. <laughs> But when you go down, go down to Normanton, you can ask Susie lives down there, and, and you, you'll see down there, when you walk just down the one street, you have a Gurdwara, you have the Sikh temple, you have the, the Muslim mosque, you have so many different religions and faiths just down in one small part of Derby City. And, and you're walking around there and you're, you're going down there. Who is God in that place? Who do people declare that God is in that place? Who do people down in that aspect of Normandy say who Jesus is? And I'm sure if we went down there and asked people, who do you say that Jesus is? Some people say he was a good man. He was a prophet. Some will say, might say he was the son of God. Not quite know what that means, but he was son of God. Some people might say he was a miracle worker. He was fantastic. A lot of people would say, I don't know, does he play for Chelsea or Man City? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you might get an aspect of a, a response 
like that that people asking who is Jesus and so you can see the disciples of trying to to formulate that and I'm sure when Jesus asked that question they were all went silent and went who do people say I am oh my goodness me I know we're disciples and learning but does he have to ask his hard questions who is he who is he God wait there just be quiet Peter will say something because Peter can't keep quiet <laughs> there's always one isn't there always wait for somebody I always remember it um when we're studying at, studying at college, and if you get it, they'll, they'll used to study at Wes, Wesley's um, College in Bristol. And, um, and, you know, you always knew that no matter what you said, you would, always get, you would always get a problem with the lecturer. So we'd all be sitting waiting. And we knew we had one guy, no matter what, if we waited five, just paused for a few minutes, he would give the answer. And so we'd all just sit there and go, then he'd give the answer, be completely wrong, and the lecturer go, that's not the answer, this is the answer. And we go, yeah, that's the answer. That's the <laughs> and you could imagine they're just sitting there going, you know, how do we respond to this question? Who is Jesus? And then Peter, amazingly and incredibly, comes out with this incredible confession. He says, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one who's going to come and bring hope to Israel. You're the one who's going to bring transformation. You're the one who's going to lead us to freedom. This is all the things that he's expressing in this. You're the one who's going to set us free. You're the one we've been waiting for for all these centuries to come and bring God's presence and glory back to Israel again. That as a nation that we might be raised up and all the world will come and worship at the hill of the Lord. He said, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. There's something in you, Jesus, which is different, which is significant, which is life-changing. And then Jesus gives him a compliment. He said, well, Peter, that didn't come from you, did it? <laughs> and sometimes that's the best thing, isn't it, when it doesn't come from us. But he said... That was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. How does the Father in heaven reveal things to us? Through the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, Peter has this revelation from the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And Peter must have felt so good at that point, isn't it? He's kind of patting the back and he's like, Yeah, see boys, I didn't get it wrong this time. I got it right, you see. He's got his brownie point to say, Look, I'm gonna be the right hand of Jesus. I'm the I'm the top man, you know. Even he's gonna build his church on me. I don't know what church is, but he's gonna build his church on me, you know. It's a, it's really good, it's really exciting. He's gonna put things in my shoulders. I'm gonna be the leader, I'm gonna be the one in authority, or poor soul, yeah. <laughs> the poor soul. What, what he has to go through, what that means for him, he doesn't quite understand yet. He, he, he's thinking, yeah, Jesus is going to be a king. He's going to bride in Jerusalem. We're all going to rule there. And I'm going to be Peter the Mighty, Peter the Great. And I'm going to sit in his right hand of the throne. And Jesus is going to crush all our enemies below us. But what he doesn't realize and doesn't understand, that, that Jesus isn't coming to crush the Romans. He's coming to crush sin and death, isn't he? He's come to defeat our greatest enemy, that, that that destroys our salvation, our eternal life, that which separates us from God. That's Jesus' agenda. Jesus' agenda is to go to the cross and to defeat sin and death, that we might know God our Father, that we might have eternal life. You know, we think about, why did Jesus die? That's another complicated question, isn't it? We can get caught, caught up in t- 
cup and that. I remember at college, soteriology and all the different theories about why Jesus would die and all the different things. I could give you ten different theories if I could remember them. (laughs) But the Bible says in John 17 that Jesus came and died that we might know God our Father. That was Jesus' purpose, wasn't it? Jesus came that we might, might know God our Father and the Son whom he sent. Isn't that amazing? So it's all those things about sin and death, but all that sin and death was just a blockage, just a thing that got in the way of us knowing our Father in heaven and our Father in heaven knowing us and loving us. So Jesus, he had a far greater picture, far greater agenda than Peter could ever think or ever thought of. And we're a bit like that, isn't it? When I ask you, who is Jesus? I'm not asking you who you want Jesus to be. You know, because we can easily get into that. I want Jesus to be this for me. I want Jesus to act and be towards me this way. I want Jesus to be whom I conceive in my head and who I perceive Jesus to be. It's so easy, isn't it? We can turn Jesus into something that we want and we desire that fits our lives, that fits our lifestyle, that fits our priorities, fits our goals, fits our agendas. But Jesus doesn't have the same agenda as us. It's a shame, isn't it? He really doesn't have the same agenda as us. Jesus has his own agenda. And when you decide to follow Jesus, you have to get on the Jesus agenda. And so when you come here and you say, I confess Jesus Christ as Lord and my Saviour. Jesus has given you a pat on the back. But when you go and say, Jesus, that's great, but I'm going to live my life the way I want it now. I tell you, you've got the invitation, but that's where the challenge is going to come. And people in our society, they need to know who Jesus is. That he is the image of God. If you were to put a mirror to God, you would see Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That in Jesus we see the image of God on earth. In Jesus' life and teachings, we see God's love and teaching and inspiration for us. That he's God dwelling in humanity. Isn't that amazing? He's God dwelling in the fullness of humanity. He was the word, the beginning of creation. He was hovering over the earth. He was the word that was spoken that brought all things into being. He is the creator of the universe. He's powerful. He is mighty. He is great. And so when we say who Jesus is, wow, he's the fullness of God on earth. He's the image of God on earth. He's God's love for us. He's a breaker of sin and death. He's the one who takes us back into a relationship with our Father. And he calls us to follow him and do his will. 
Now, Peter starts to get it a little bit wrong, doesn't he? As we go on and we read further in, in Matthew 16. Because it's, it's all lots of people saying lots of things about Jesus, isn't it? We, we had um, some kids in here from um, year sevens from Darby, I don't know how you say Darby Moore, Moore is it? Um, secondary school. And we had, a, we had a full day on Wednesday of year seven classes just coming in one after the other to, to do their, where they have to look at different faiths and different religions and different churches. So they were coming here to the, from, from the Baptist church to here to observe the differences between the Baptist church and here. They go to the Gurdwara, they go to um, the Hindu temple, they go to different places. So um, they came here and they were, they were looking at the church and coming around and it was amazing to ask them and to say to them, so do you go to church? It's like someone saying, go to church? I've never been in a church before. That's the first time I've been in a church because I haven't been to the Baptist church yet, you see. <laughs> So this is the first time. It was amazing. The majority of the children, they had never been in a church before. They may be in the back hall of a church or down at, New, down at um, Newmount or in the, in the youth group there or something like that, but they had never been in a church building for any reason. But that's incredible, isn't it? It's incredibly sad, but it's an incredible opportunity. I remember I speaking, I spoke to one, one young girl and I said to her, so do you go to church? She said, I used to go to church. I said, so why did you stop going? She said, my mum died and I don't go to church anymore. You know, so these kids are reeling with some really hard and difficult and challenging issues. And we have the excitement of a church of a new generation who know nothing about Jesus to tell them who is Jesus and start to reveal that understanding to them. A lot of the kids, if not half, 50%, came from different religions. So their response was, oh, well, he's a prophet, he's this, he's that, or I don't care, we don't like Jesus, you know, this is it. So all these, all these different responses that, that, that people had. And so Peter, in the midst of this, then Jesus thinks, well, that's good. Well, Peter's have the revelation. The disciples are starting to understand. They're starting to learn a bit. So how, how do I engage them further? So he starts, to, he starts to think about it. He says, well, I'm going to start to give them a bit of my plan, my purpose. And he says to them, well, the Son of Man, he, he has to go to Jerusalem and set his face towards Jerusalem. And he has to go and die and die upon the cross. Whoa, Peter's like straight away, whoa, what are you talking about, Jesus? And Peter rebukes Jesus, can you imagine that? Oh my goodness me. Jesus is master, his teacher, his Lord, the one he's a disciple to. And Peter in his confidence rebukes Jesus. Unbelievable. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, God forbid that will happen to you and Jesus. But it's got to happen. I've got to do that. That's my plan. That's my purpose. That's where I'm going. I'm heading towards that cross because that's God's plan, God's intention. It may be suffering. It may be difficult. It may be something that, that I'm taking the whole sin of the world upon myself and overcoming death. It makes me, makes me fearful of my own humanity, of the, of the, the wrath of God and the, 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 what I have to face within that. He said, but I've got to go and do that. I've got to go that path. 
I've got to go to that cross and I've got to die there and that's what I've got to do. Get behind me, Satan. And when he says to him, get behind me, Satan, he's talking about someone who's an accuser. Someone who's, who's taken him off God's plans and God's ways. Somebody who's anti to God's plan and purposes. He's saying, Peter, you're anti to God's plans and purposes. You're trying to, by saying that, you may take me off the path that I want to go to, that I need to go to. I don't need that, Peter. It's hard enough already without you having to come and bring an obstacle before me. Because it's all quite polite in the Bible, isn't it? But I'm sure that's how it went. (laughs) And Jesus says, in fact, if you want to follow me, if anyone wants to come after me, we'll have the next, next line if we can. So people can follow. That's it. Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Wow. Now if you say that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, if you recognize that Jesus might be God, what is your response to that? How do you respond? How how do we live? How how do we move from that recognition, that moment of invitation to realize who Jesus is? What is the challenge then of then that response to who Jesus is? If I say that Jesus is Lord, my Savior, what am I saying? I'm saying I'm under his lordship, I'm under his rulership, I'm under his authority, his power. When I say he's Lord, I say, well, actually, my agenda and what I want doesn't matter because I'm subject to my Lord, to my Master. I want to do his will. I want to do his purpose. I want to follow him. I want to obey him. I want to know his ways. I want to understand what he desires for my life. And I want to live in that way. Lucia was talking to um, one of the teachers in our school, and she said, he's one of the, the, nicest, the nicest men I've met. He's so nice. He's so very, 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 very caring, very friendly, you know, very, very good person. And then she was talking to him later on. Time, she said to him, you must be a Christian. You must be a Christian. He goes, no, I'm a humanist, and I don't believe in God. But I believe in humanity. She says, no, you can't be. You can't be a humanist. You can't be. You've got to be a Christian. You, you can't be a humanist. You must, you must believe in God. She says, no, I'm a humanist. I don't believe in God. And you know what? Give somebody to the Jews. If somebody doesn't believe in God, and they're atheist, or they're a humanist, you know, at least they're consistent in living like there is no God. Or living like it's just about us as human beings, isn't it? At least they're consistent. They're living, they're living in line with what they believe. And they're setting their values to what they believe. But what about us as Christians? If we say there is a God, that Jesus is Lord, then do our life and our values match up to that belief? Because surely when you say there is a God, even when you just say there is a God, you've got to find out who that God is. 
and start to understand that God and walk in the beliefs and purposes of that God. Amen? And if you say that Jesus Christ is Lord, then that, that's even more significant because you've got to figure out who Jesus is, obey him and start to live that life for him. That means you've got to start to read the Bible. You need to read his word. You need to explore it. You need to understand it. You need to find out what Jesus did, how he loved and lived and challenged and, and impacted the world around him and how he calls us to that same life of discipleship, that same life of power, that same life of living in the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, discipleship, believing in God, and living the Christian life in a powerful and significant way has a big bar in the middle, which I still keep on bumping into many times in my life, which means denial of self. Denial of who I want, what I want, and what I want to do, and what I desire. I tell you, there's lots of things that I desire and want to do. But there's many of them I have to sacrifice to follow Christ and do His will so that I might love and care and bring hope and peace and joy. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Whoa. You need to take up your cross and follow me. For Jesus to take up the cross was to do his Father's will and defeat sin and death. For us to take up our cross and to follow Jesus means to deny ourselves and live for God's will and purpose as Jesus did. Jesus was obedient to his Father, always in prayer, always in relationship with his Father, saying, Father, your will be done. Father, how do I serve you? Father, guide me by your Holy Spirit that I may do everything for your purpose and your will the healings, the deliverance, the freedom, the hope, everything that I do, Father, will be submitted to you, even to the point of death on the cross, Father, if that's your will to defeat sin and death, I'm willing to go there and do that for you. And taking up our cross is going to look different, but that taking up that cross means that we deny ourselves And we submit to Christ. We die to ourselves and we live for Christ. Which simply means that we orientate our lives to do God's will and purpose. And Jesus says that when you die to yourself and you take up that cross, you find life and you find life in its fullness. How can that be? How can denying yourself lead to fullness of life, my goodness me, denying yourself has been a bit boring, doesn't it? Maybe watching less TV or Netflix or, you know, don't watch that box, that box set this week or, or doing all these things or, or fasting or doing, doing these, all these religious things and, and praying and, and getting on your knees and dedicating yourself to God, spending quiet time with God to understand Him and who He is, to, to be, be in service and to live for Him, to serve the church, to serve the community. Oh my goodness, it all sounds tiring, doesn't it? Sounds really tiring. My goodness me. But Jesus says, when you take up that cross and you deny yourself and you live for me, you find life. 
And you find life in the full. And that means when we sacrifice that time in front of the TV or, or all the things and actually get on our knees and pray, when we serve, when we worship, when we desire God, when we say, God, I'm giving up some time because I'm hungry for you. I want to have you in my life. I want to know your will for my life. I want to do your purpose in my life. I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple. I want to know who you are, but I also want to take up that cross and be in your will and purpose and serve you in every aspect of my life. Then Jesus says, you'll find life. And there's no greater joy no greater hope than the Christian life submitted to God. The Christian life submitted to serving others. The Christian life dedicated to hospitality and welcoming the stranger. No greater life than serving the broken and the hurting and the those in pain. No greater life than fighting the lost. No greater life than finding those who have lost all hope and direction and give them a direction in Jesus Christ and seeing their lives transformed. There's no greater life than, than taking people out an eternity of lost and being away from God to an eternity of life with God. There's no greater fulfillment in life than seeing someone is hungry being fed, someone who's naked being clothed, someone who's been spiritually broken being spiritually restored. When we deny ourselves, we find life because we see others come into life in Jesus Christ. But it's our response. It's up to us how we live. And God comes to us and he asks us, even as Christians, his Holy Spirit comes to us and convicts us and say, will you live for me? Will you do my purpose? Will you do my life? Will, my, will you deny your own self and live for me? Will you take up that cross? Will you spend time with me in prayer that you might understand my will and my desire for your life? Will you sacrifice of yourself to love others? And I wish these were all easy. You know, but they're not all easy things. They're things that are demanding, tiring, difficult, sometimes frustrating. But when you see transformation of lives in communities, in cities as dedicated people of God, deny themselves and live for Christ you see transformation, amen could you imagine if, a, if as a church here we dedicated ourselves and died to ourselves and lived for Christ and committed to that of coming together to seeking God's will and purpose in a greater and deeper way what would be the transformation of a community of hospitality, of love, of care as we open up our homes, as we reach out to the lost, to the broken, what would it look like, we'd probably all be shattered wouldn't we <laughs> But I tell you, be praising God. Be praising God because we see change and transformation. But we have to work for our own frustrations, our own barriers, our own blockages. Each one of us is a disciple. We've got our own blockages which prevent us from following Jesus the way we want. 
our own blockages of, of taking up that cross, our own blockages of, of not going out there and, and living for him and take up that challenge of taking up a cross and doing God's will. We've got all those blockages. And you'll have different blockages from me. I've got as many blockages as I'm sure. But we've got to work through them and live that life that God has planned for us that will change and transform the world around us. And God's inviting you. And I, it, there's, a, there's a story that I like to mention a few times, and, and it's a book by Duncan Ballantyne, a fellow Scot who was, used to be on Dragon's Den and owns the gyms. And he talks about, in his book, Anyone Can Do It, um, shares about a close encounter he had with God while in Romania, looking at children's homes and the difficulty of people were in. And he, he was observing the children's homes and what the people were going through and the difficulties and challenges that were have. And he left, they left the children's home and went outside and started, started to cry. And he said, for me, the tears, the tears came at about 10 o'clock that night. I went outside and found a quiet place at the side of the house. I couldn't stop the tears. My face was wet. My nose began to run and I was a mess. I had no choice but to let the tears flow. And they kept pouring out of me and wouldn't stop. After many minutes, I began to get the feeling that I wasn't alone. I was, it was there and then that God said, Hello. I felt that I had been consumed by his presence, that something had completely shrouded and taken hold of me. It was unmistakable. I knew who had come and I also knew why. It wasn't a spiritual thing. It was a, a Christian thing. And I felt I was being told, you've arrived. Join the faith. Be a Christian. This is it. It was profound. I stood there, stunned, considering the offer and thinking about it, about what it would mean. I knew I wanted to keep on, keep on building up my businesses. I wanted to keep on making money. I also knew I wanted to carry on doing all the things I wasn't proud of, but still wanted to do them. And I knew that I was never going to be this totally Christian guy going to church on Sundays. So I said, no, I'm not ready. And God said, okay. And disappeared. God's speaking to you this morning. But you're going to be like Duncan Ballantyne and say, I've got too many things that I want to do. Too many other priorities. Too many other things. God, I'm sorry, I can't respond to your call to do your will. I can't respond to your call to believe in you. I can't respond to your call to commit my life to you because, you know, I've got so many other things to commit. I mean, I've got great respect for Duncan Ballantyne because at least he was honest. Are we being honest? Are we honest as Christians? Am I honest? And so God's calling you this morning to say, take up that cross. Follow me. Believe in me. Trust in me. I'm the image of God. I'm the fullness of God in flesh. I'm who you've been looking for. I'm the fulfillment of your life. 
And I promise you, take up your cross and you're doing God's will. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a difficult path. But you're going to find life in the full. And you're going to be blessed and filled with hope and joy. You're going to see transformation around you. You're going to see life transformed, communities transformed. That's what we want, isn't it? Who's who's bored with a, a dried up Christian life? You're not dried up, bored Christian life. It's time to start to bring transformation and change. But God says to us, are we ready to say okay? Are you all ready to say that I'm ready to drop the priorities that I set before myself that got in the way between God and I? Or am I ready to say, God, here I am, have my life. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I'm going to follow you because I'm tired. We as a generation in UK of Christians have such a responsibility when those kids came into the church, if you could have got a chance to speak to them, they're so spiritually hungry, so in need of something, so in need of, of God, so in need of Jesus, but they don't have a clue who Jesus is. And there's a great possibility that the denominations, including the United Reformed Church, Methodist Church, even Chance of Baptist Church, by by 10 years' time, may not exist anymore. What is our response to that? How can we bring this young generation who are so thirsty, so needy, so wanting of, of something? You know, people say this is a generation who have been who have been praised the most and lifted up the most and told they're the greatest the most, but have the most, the lowest self-esteem of any generation. That's incredible, isn't it? A generation has been praised and said, you're great, you're fantastic, but have so much low esteem because without Jesus Christ, you have no self-esteem, do you? You find who you are in Christ. You only find yourself in Christ. You find your esteem and your identity. So let's bless him and praise him. And let, let, let's be a disciples who are willing to take up that cross and follow him, that we might win this new generation for Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your glory, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for him. And Father, help us to, that when we call him our Lord, our Savior, our Master, when we call him the Messiah, we call him God on earth. Father, help us to recognize that that, that, that response, those words require a response and action. And Father, help us to take up that cross and follow you. Help us to lay aside the barriers, the issues, our, our own um, agendas aside, Lord, that we might be as a community of people who are on our knees seeking you and seeking your will, Lord. We know there's no easy answers for the future of your church in this country, Lord. We know there is no quick fixes, no structures, no programs that are going to change it around, Father, but we know that if we are committed to pray and worship and serving you in this community, Lord, that your love will work through us. And so, Father, help each one of us to leave this place and to be on our knees and seeking your will. Lord, that each one of us, you may give us your cross, your yoke and your burden, which is light and leads to fullness of life. And may we take off this burden that we have on ourselves. 
despair, we call it failure or disappointment or hopelessness or depression or fear. Lord, help us take those burdens off and to take on your cross and serve you and live for you in Jesus' name. Amen.